Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we are loaded up for the week. Keith Idex, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He joins me. We talk about the Canelo Alvarez announcement. The Pound for Pound King will be back on February 27th. That fight can be seen on DAZN. A little bit later on, Stephen Fulton, 122-pound title challenger. He is in action this weekend after overcoming a COVID diagnosis from last summer that cost him a world title fight. And Teofimo Lopez, Sports Illustrated's uh, Fighter of the Year, one of the best young fighters in all of boxing. He joins me to talk about his 2020, his fight against Vasily Lomachenko, and what he hopes to accomplish in 2021. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Keith Eideck. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? Oh, all the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Eidek is here, senior writer with BoxingScene.com, friend of the podcast. He is back in his usual location, quarantined in a hotel room, waiting for a big fight. The one he's down at is at the Stephen Fulton-Angelo Leo fight in Connecticut. That fight's going to be Saturday on Showtime. Stephen Fulton's going to join me a little bit later in the show. How are you feeling, Keith? Oh, you know, just enjoying my quarantine time here, Chris, at Mohegan Sun. Just Where else would you rather be, right? No, nowhere, nowhere, but uh, in an empty, empty-ish casino in the middle of January. Um, I want to jump into the news of the week, Keith, and that's Canelo Alvarez announcing that he was going to face Avni Yildirim on February 27th. This is part of a two-fight deal Canelo signed with Matchroom Boxing. The fight will take place in Miami. It will be streamed on DAZN. It is one of what Canelo believes uh, will be three fights, at least, in 2020. It's a fight that's take place about 70 days after 
his win over Callum Smith. I think the question that I want to put to you first, Keith, is do you have a problem with this fight? Because when I scroll through social media, of course, Twitter being a home for civilized discourse, but when I scroll scroll through social media, uh, I hear a lot of criticism of Canelo. Like, this fight's stupid. Why is he taking it? Yada, yada. Uh, officially, it is his mandatory, and we can talk about why Yildirim is the mandatory, but uh, do you take issue with Canelo facing Yildirim <clears throat> on the 27th of February? I don't, Chris, and here's why. Going into the Callum Smith fight, uh, it was contingent upon Canelo Alvarez or Callum Smith, whomever won that fight, to fight Yildirim next. I mean, that was part of the deal. If, if, they were going to, if the WBC was going to come in and sanction the fight at the very last minute, really, a week before, the winner had to fight Yildirim next or, or they wouldn't fight for the WBC title. Now, both guys played, paid a lot of money, several hundred thousand dollars apiece, for that fight to be sanctioned for the WBC title. So the winner, Canelo Alvarez, now wants to hold that title because his ultimate goal is to become the undisputed super middleweight champion. And while belts don't matter a lot to fans and, and it frustrates all of us sometimes with mandatories and all that type of stuff, it matters to the fighters. And Canelo wants to be an undisputed champion in this division. And to do that, he has to hold on to the WBC title. He's Chris, he's also, as you well know, going to fight three times this year, assuming he doesn't get injured or upset or whatever. So if he's going to fight three times and two of those fights are super middleweight unification fights and one is a mandatory against Yildirim, it kind of is what it is. I mean, you know, if, if fans don't like it, like I always say to fans on Twitter, and, and as you mentioned, Chris, people are complaining on Twitter. You know, people would win the lottery and on Twitter complain about the taxes. So, you know, it's just ridiculous. You know, look, yesterday on Twitter, not to get too off topic, I, I tweeted something pretty harmless about Adrian Broner, his fight on February 20th, going up against the Burchelt Valdez fight on February 20th and Broner being a polarizing guy who usually does good ratings. You know, let's see how it affects the Burchelt Valdez fight, which is obviously the better fight. And some guy responded to me who I'd never heard of before, said something, this speaks to who you are as a human being that you do. Like, like what? So I wouldn't take too much of what's on Twitter seriously at all and they're going to complain no matter what they, they complained when he fought Callum Smith who was you know I don't know if about consensus but he was considered arguably the number one fighter in the 168 pound division outside of Canelo Alvarez and people complained when he wasn't really all that competitive in that fight after the fact so people on Twitter you're not you're never going to please most people on Twitter so I wouldn't worry about that all that yeah, so what do you think then of the path Canelo is choosing to take? He's working with Eddie Hearn, which presumably puts him on track to face Billy Joe Saunders in May. Canelo has said he wants to unify the 168-pound division. Saunders has a piece of that title, uh, so he's now going to work with Hearn for a third fight or two more fights after the one uh, in December. His option, or at least you know nominally, his option would have been to sign with Fox, with PBC, with Showtime, have this uh, this fight, this mandatory fight, in February, and then go on to face Caleb Plant. Uh, what do you think of? What do you read into Canelo's decision to sign the deal with Matchroom? Look, if it leads to now, Billy Joe Saunders is not going to make this easy. You know, Billy Joe Saunders wants to be paid what he was going to be paid before the pandemic when they were supposed to fight last May. He wants that type of money. Is that type of money available to him now? I'm not so sure. And now Billy Joe Saunders has more leverage probably than he did before because they could have fought Callum Smith 
who also was affiliated with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. So they had another, they had a, an attractive alternative to Billy Joe Saunders, whereas now they don't really. So, and, and they need Saunders more than maybe they needed him before. So that could, you know, that maybe holds things up. If he, if he wants too much money, well, then it could become an issue. But I'm fine with Canelo, assuming everything goes well against Yildirim in this fight. And he, he started at the William Hill Sportsbook as a 50 to 1 favorite, and rightfully so. Can't imagine much would go wrong here outside of him getting injured or cut in some way. Uh, assuming everything goes well February 27th, if he were to fight Billy Joe Saunders next or if he were to fight Caleb Plant next, I'd be fine with either one because it would be the path toward uh, full unification in the super middleweight division. They're both undefeated. Uh, both have tricky styles, and I think neither will be easy opponents for Canelo, although Canelo would obviously be expected to beat Saunders or Plant. Yeah, um, you know, Canelo's made it clear he wants to unify at 168. This is a pathway to getting there, and it allows him to work with a guy he's clearly comfortable with working with, whether it's Canelo yeah. or Eddie Reynoso. They seem to have developed a really strong working relationship that uh, seems to work for uh, everybody involved. Um, I, I guess, you know, the only other question I have on this and I'm going to do a deeper dive on Plant Truax next week, but I'm expecting Plant to cruise uh, in that mm-hmm. fight. Where does this leave Caleb Plant? Because if Canelo's signing this deal with Matchroom, it presumably takes him out of the mix at least until September. You've got David Benavidez out there saying, I want to fight Caleb Plant. I think Plant versus Benavidez is a terrific fight. I'm not sure how you make it in terms of the finances yeah. that are going to be involved. Do you roll the dice and put it on pay-per-view? Does Fox or Showtime step up and pay for that fight? But what do you think Caleb Plant does as a result of this decision by Canelo? I don't think that he will fight Benavidez before he has at least the opportunity to fight Canelo because there's too much money involved in the Canelo fight to take the chance against Benavidez and potentially lose that fight and then never get the chance to fight Canelo. Now, some people obviously would say, well, Caleb Plant had a chance to fight him last year and said something about needing an extremely long training camp, I guess, is the way most people looked at it. Um, although I don't know that that's necessarily true. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm buying that either. Like, I, I think the, the money the, was a bigger issue on the Canelo side right, than anything right. else. Like, I, I, I yeah. plan yeah. already. Probably true. And, but, but point being, I, I just think that he would wait it out. Uh, you know, this Caleb versus Caleb fight has been brewing for some time. <laughs> you know, maybe more so when Caleb Truax was was the IBF champion or uh, maybe right after Plant won the title, they had hoped that it would happen. And then he fought uh, uh, Peter Quillen and he got cut in that fight and he suffered an Achilles injury before and after that fight. Uh, So it's been a long road for Caleb Truax. I I don't know at 37 years old that he has enough left to, uh, to beat Caleb Plant at this point, who's in the prime of his career and has looked very good though against, um, I mean, the people that he has fought since this Uzcategui fight, uh, you know, it was a very good win against Uzcategui who came came on later in that fight and gave Plant some trouble. But, you know, the fights against Mike Lee and Vincent Feigenboots, I I don't really know. He he satisfied his mandatory obligation against Feigenboots, of course, so he had to take that fight according to the IBF. But he's fought Mike Lee, who was in over his head in that fight, and Vincent Feigenboots. And now, you know, Caleb Truax is 37 years old, um, but will probably provide a tougher challenge than either of those other two opponents. So uh, I'd be a little concerned if I were Caleb Plant, just for argument's sake, say that Caleb Truax doesn't have 
a lot left and who's to really know that at this point because he won a majority decision in his last fight. Um, he's had some injury issues. He had to withdraw from his uh, last scheduled fight against Alfredo Angulo because he got sick the day before the weigh-in. Uh, so it's hard to know what Caleb Truax is going to bring next week in that fight. And then if you're Caleb Plant, you will have fought Mike Lee, Feigen Boots, an aged uh, Truax maybe, and then you haven't had uh, a real tough test maybe. Now who knows, Truax might test him next week, but if he doesn't, you haven't had a real tough test in two and a half years or so, and then you're going to go into a Canelo fight off, you know, it's, that's that's risky business. Yeah, it, You know, I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit at some of the criticism that Caleb Plant had for Callum Smith uh, of his performance in the Canelo fight because uh, it's one thing to say you'd do better against Canelo. It's another mm-hmm. thing to actually do it. I mean, Canelo, you know, Caleb, whatever you think of Callum yeah. Smith, he's a really good fighter. He was just beaten by a great yep. fighter. And right. I, I don't see how Caleb Plant with, you know, dominating wins over Mike Lee and Vincent Feigenboots is going to sit there and say, like, I'm now prepared for Canelo Alvarez. That's why Benavidez, and I agree with you, I don't think it happens. I, I wish it would, but I don't think it happens. But uh, Benavidez fight, while it's risky, there's that whole, you know, iron sharpens iron sort of theory. Like if you're in with a good fighter, it prepares you for what it's going to be like when you're taken to war with a great fighter. So, you know, I I think he beats Truax pretty convincingly. I I lean towards Truax does not have a lot left, uh, especially at 168 pounds. Um, I I think it's, it's, it's a pretty comfortable decision win Mm -hmm. uh, for Caleb Plant and, if that happens, I guess, do you just sit around and wait and cross your fingers and hope that after Canelo faces Saunders, he still wants to get that last piece of the title? Because I still think, uh, Keith, that a Golovkin fight could still be out there. I mean, Canelo could decide that, look, I've got three pieces. I'm going to take the money. Like, if there's, you know, $50 yeah. million on the table for me to fight Gennady Golovkin, uh, and Golovkin's coming off, let's just say, for example, a win over Jaime Munguia, which boosts his stock up a little bit because of how he looks in a fight like that, I mean financially you you gotta you gotta at least strongly consider that type of offer which could put plants in a position where he could be waiting like 18 months before he gets a shot at canelo yeah look somewhere along the line chris you know as well as i do that the ibf will come up with another mandatory oh yes they will has no business being in the ring with uh caleb plant or you know anybody else but uh so that probably would happen i think you know because the feigen boots fight was let was almost a year ago now. So theoretically they'll come up with another uh, mandatory for him to fight. So is it uh is, is they, is Darvinchenko now the mandatory at 168? He's, he's a big IBF mandatory <laughs> guy. Well, can... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last thing he needs to move down and wait, not up, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, there will be, I, my best guess is probably he will, you know, if he beats Truax, he will have to make another mandatory. And then that would be four fights in which he really isn't tested at the highest level, you know? So, again, that's assuming that Truax isn't what Truax was when he beat James DeGale even a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be uh, a bit of a predicament for PBC to have, you know, Plant and Benavidez out there not fighting each other and, you know, paying right. them and finding opponents for them. That's where it gets uh, pretty slippery. All right, let's talk about uh, Deontay Wilder for a minute here. Uh, I reported this week that Wilder's camp is uh, – they're, they're looking at other options for him. And – you know, Keith, you've covered this story. I feel like I can say pretty definitively that it's over as far as a Tyson Fury fight's going to go. Like, it's just, 
you know, it, they the mediation didn't really go anywhere. Shelly Finkel, the co-manager for Wilder, says that they're going to go to arbitration. They're hoping for a favorable hearing there. But there's nobody I've talked to involved in this process that think that they're going to win this. So Deontay Wilder is now faced with having to move on. Uh, I mentioned Charles Martin as a potential name. Shelly told me there are a couple other names uh, that are out there. Big picture, though. Like, where does Wilder go now? He's, what, 36 years old. Um, he's coming off his first loss, a knockout loss. The heavyweight championship is probably out of his reach for at least the next year, if not longer. If, uh, if Fury and Joshua go a couple of times, what do you do if you're Deontay Wilder? What I do if I'm Deontay Wilder, instead of ripping Mark Breland and coming up with all these kooky conspiracy theories, I want some answers from the people who represent me as to how this happened. How is he not fighting Tyson Fury? How? how? How was the language in the contract such that this was allowed to happen? That's where his anger should be directed. He gave T- Tyson Fury uh, the rematch, right? It, it was supposed to be a two-fight deal. The pandemic certainly is not Deontay Wilder's fault. Um, they, they've kind of try, – they're trying to rewrite history, Bob Arum and other people on the, on the other side of it trying to say, oh, well, the fight was going to happen. The fight was not happening in July. Stop it. Deontay Wilder did get injured, which, you know, there has to be some account for that, right? But that fight was not happening in July, and it was not happening in October because fans could not attend. And Bob and others have repeatedly said that the fight would not have happened without fans. Fans are not allowed. How is that Deontay Wilder's fault? And how does the rematch clause then expire when the fight really could not be put on. I'd really love to get a, a straight answer out of that. And, and the, 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 the answer might be that the contract was poorly constructed on the, on, on the Deontay Wilder side. Now, he can't sit around and cry about it forever, but I would want those answers from the people who are handling your career because, frankly, he should not be in this position. He shouldn't. I understand that Fury and Joshua is an enormous fight, Guys are going to make a lot of money. People want to see it. It's the biggest fight. Well, it's the biggest fight in British boxing history that won't take place in the United Kingdom, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, but if I'm Deontay Wilder, I'm, I would be pissed more than anything else about the fact that that is not happening. Having said that, he's going to have to pick from a group of PBC heavyweights or maybe guys that are free to move about wherever. He's fought most of them. He's beaten most of their B-level, C-level, whatever you want to call them. He's beaten most of them. And and uh, Adam Konaki, who's a guy who has wanted to fight, not that he would fight him coming off the loss to Hellenius. He needs to clean that up. Uh, that's one guy who hasn't fought him. Hellenius obviously hasn't fought him. But, um, but most of the guys he has beaten. So you don't have many guys to pick from. The, the obvious guy, as you mentioned, is Charles Martin. If I'm Deontay Wilder, I'm not fighting Charles Martin next. And, and reason being, Deontay Wilder is still one of the most pulverizing punchers in boxing, but Charles Martin can punch. And while Wilder would clearly be a favorite to beat him, that's not the, the, the gimme that maybe some people think that it is because Martin can really punch. And who knows what to make of Deontay Wilder from a, from a psychological standpoint after what happened to him last February. If I'm him... You know, maybe Michael Hunter might make more sense because he's not a big puncher. He's a respected heavyweight and, you know, a decent heavyweight, but not a guy who's a big puncher. 
that would probably be the direction that I would go if I were them. Of course, Martin is affiliated with PBC um, and might have a more of an inside track to get the fight. But if I'm Wilder, I'm looking more at a guy who might not pose as much danger as someone who can punch like Martin. Now, they, now fans are going to say, oh, Charles Martin sucks. And, you know, look what happened when he fought Joshua. He has come back and fought well since then, mm-hmm. uh, in the fight against Konaki. And, and then people will say, oh, well, Konaki got knocked out. Uh, okay, all fine. But he can punch. Just not sure that that's the guy to come off a one-year layoff against. When you're trying to remain relevant, as you said, Chris, and wait out what probably will be a two-fight series between Fury and Joshua. I'm not sure. Like, I agree with your assessment of Martin, though, I mean, Michael Hunter seems just as dangerous in a different way. I mean, Michael Hunter's shown a good chin mm-hmm. as a heavyweight. He went the distance with Alexander Pavekin. He knocked out mm-hmm. uh, Martin Bacoli, who is a good puncher. Uh, right. He's a pressure fighter, so it's more likely than not mm-hmm. he's going to win a lot of these rounds, and Deontay's going to be right. in a position once again to have to hit him with one big shot. <laughs> There's not a lot of good options. Like, there's not a lot of low-risk, medium-reward options for Deontay Wilder at this stage. They just they don't right. exist. You're right. And, and I'm not shitting on Hunter. I mean, Hunter can fight. I'm not. But my point is, the one thing I will say is Deontay Wilder, from Hunter's perspective, he has fought guys who can punch. But I, I'll reiterate, Deontay Wilder is a ridiculous puncher. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, and and. And the power is always the last thing to go. He's 35 years old now, but he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not 45. So, I mean, he should, he should be fine in that respect, I would think. But we just, I just think more than anything, Chris, it's hard to know what to make of Deontay Wilder at this point, what that Fury fight took out of him psychologically, how it's chipped away at maybe his confidence is, he certainly doesn't have the aura of invincibility that he clearly had going into that second uh, Fury fight. So what, does Deontay Wilder himself even know what to make of Deontay Wilder going into his next fight? My guess is probably not. And he needs to go in there and and have an impressive performance and win by knockout to get back to the right frame of mind mentally uh, where he's ready to go into bigger fights. Yeah. I almost have to circle it back to his sort of plan this year. Uh, See, my take on it is that, I think there could be an interesting year for Deontay Wilder because I do think there are some interesting options there for him. I mean, whoever he fights first, whether it is Charles Martin or Michael Hunter or somebody that he can beat. After that, let's say Kovnowski beats Hellenius. That's interesting because if you get fans back in the later half of this year, Kovnowski is a fun fighter, but is susceptible to a big punch. That's a fight he can win. And then Let's say Andy Ruiz resuscitates himself over the next couple of fights. That's a pretty interesting fight between two uh, ex-title holders. I I think the issue Deontay runs into is that you combine all three of these fights, I don't know how he makes as much money as he would make for the Fury fight. And that's what brings you back to the contract and how that got screwed up and who do you blame for that? Because that's $20, $25 million that would be on the table for a fight like that. A fight against Charles Martin is not a pay-per-view. A fight against Adam Kovnatsky is not a pay-per-view. I-, I think it's a stretch to say Andy Ruiz would be a pay-per-view, but maybe you can sell it as such if Ruiz has a couple of big wins. Uh, you know, Do you get to 20, 25 million with those three fights? I don't know. And that's what I'd be most upset about if I'm yeah. Deontay Wilder because it just came, became a lot more difficult for me to make the type of money I thought I was earmarked to earn. And that goes back to my original point, Chris, like you alluded that's why I'd be furious if I were him more about more than anything else. Um, 
how does he make up that money? And that's the other thing, too, when, when considering who he might fight next, he's going to want to be paid. I mean, he's still Deontay Wilder. He's still, you know, one of the most devastating punchers in boxing history. He's a former heavyweight champion. He only has one loss. You know, he's made a countless excuses for that loss, so whether you want to believe any of that or not. Um, but So it's not like he's damaged goods in, in the sense where, like, he's been knocked out several times or anything. I mean, he's still a valuable commodity in boxing, and he's going to want to be paid not gonna he's not gonna get in the ring for a million dollars he's just not so so you in some ways you want him to get in there with a with a guy who is a true threat to him but also not in there with someone who's too much of a risk because if he gets knocked out again which brings me to the martin situation martin knocks him out that's it yep. you know so so great for charles martin of course and his career you know his brand and all it's fantastic for him but Wilder, I mean, that would be a wrap pretty much after that. He'd be, then he would be considered damaged goods, and while he would still get fights because he's Deontay Wilder, he'd be in a, a much worse position than he's in now. Okay, I think when you write the history of Deontay Wilder, uh, a part of it, a significant part of it, is going to be his decision to walk away from the Joshua deal and not yeah. take those two fights, the bird in the hand. I mean, you know, say what you want about what zone has done, but they they pay their debt like you know when they they have these guys in in fights they pay them for uh for their fights so it's uh that that would be something he looks back on maybe down the line that uh he wonders mm-hmm. what if what ha- what would happen if he fought joshua instead of fury would he have had a better chance um i guess you know at this point we'll probably uh never know um i want to shift over to the lightweight division where it seems keith like we've moved past the idea of ryan garcia tank davis at least nine times soon uh, Garcia keeps teasing another fight. Maybe it's a Hori Linares. Maybe it's somebody else. Uh, Tank Davis, I don't know where he's going to go next, but it's not going to be Ryan Garcia. So now you look at the other half of this, and you got Devin Haney out there looking for a big fight. You've got Teofimo Lopez, the only guy actually saying Devin Haney's name and saying, I want this fight. I want Bob Aaron, my promoter, to make this fight. Now we know he's got a mandatory against George Cambosis. That's a fight that seems to be, you know, ticketed for Australia, but there seems to be a lot of skepticism about their ability to put that together, at least not uh, over the next few months. Uh, there's a political divide there between, you know, Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez. Uh, uh, wh- handicap the chances for me that we would see Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez in what would be a definitive undisputed lightweight championship fight. Not good. Um, it's the same problem as always, Chris. I mean, people have invested a lot of money on both sides of it, and they're not just going to give in and allow the fighters to go, uh, you know, to go fight somewhere else. Because, but I've been told for sure that there is no way that Tiafimo Lopez would be, quote unquote, allowed to fight Devin Haney on the on the zone, even if the zone came up with the money, which I'm not sure that they would. In fact, Eddie Hearn has been saying that they won't. That they're not, you know, he wants ten million dollars for, uh, you know, to fight Haney or Tank or uh, Ryan Garcia or whatever. I completely understand uh, Tiafimo Lopez's perspective in the sense that he took what could only be considered short money to fight Vasily Lomachenko, and he went out there and, as an underdog, three to one underdog, won the fight. Now it's time for him to be paid. Um, and, and he wants to be paid appropriately, whether it's fighting Devin Haney, Javante Davis, Ryan Garcia, whomever it might be. He wants to be paid, and he should want to be paid. He's the, he's the only lightweight out of all of them that has gone in there and proven 
that he is the elite guy in the division. He's the only one. Now, you can say that Lomachenko is a smaller fighter, an older fighter, or whatever. But he was arguably the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. Lopez took the fight, believed in himself, took, again, what would be considered short money, went in there and did more than he was supposed to do, and now wants to be compensated properly. So I guess this all comes back to whether the fight can be made. I I don't think so, because I don't know that a Tiafimo Lopez-Devin Haney fight at this moment, while it's a very attractive fight, and I would love to see it, is it going to generate the type of revenue, particularly if we're still in, in this pandemic, for it to be worthwhile for anyone to pay what they're going to want to be paid? Because it's not just Tiafimo Lopez who's going to want to be paid a lot of money. It's Devin Haney who's already being paid a lot of money to fight Yoriorcas Gamboa and Alfredo Santiago and, you know, Zaur Abdullayev. He's already being paid a lot for fights that are nowhere near as risky as Tiafimo Lopez. So what is he going to want? Is there enough money there from ESPN or DAZN or Top Rank or Matchroom or all of them combined to satisfy these two guys? And I don't think that it is. I don't think that there is. Worse yet, Chris, the lightweight division, as you well know, is is hot right now, right? We have these guys and there's all these matchups that can be made and everyone's all excited about it and everything. And none of them are going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah. 2021 looks like it's going to be all four of these guys fighting different people. And by the end of this year, I think it's more likely than not Teofimo Lopez is gone. I mean, he's going to move up and fight the winner of uh, Josh right, Taylor right. versus Jose mm-hmm. Ramirez. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe that, to your point, I've heard the same thing. Top rank's not going to send Teofimo over to zone in kind of one of those Maurice Hooker, uh, you know, Jose Ramirez types of deals. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think Eddie would happily send Devin Haney over to ESPN if they gave the right amount of money. I just don't think that's on the table uh, for ESPN. That's, I mean, Devin Haney's a seven-figure fighter at this point. If Teofimo's looking for $5 million or $7 million or $10 million, that's just outside the budget. That's not a fight that, while it's very appealing to people like you and me, I don't know how you sell that on pay-per-view. You don't have a pound-for-pound guy like Lomachenko uh, backstopping it. So I don't know where... where, I mean, I think we know where Haney's going to go. I think Javier Fortuna seems like a fight that's makeable uh, for him. I think we could see that sometime in the spring. I'm not sure, though, where Lopez goes. I mean, he's anxious to fight, Keith. You've talked to him. I mean, everybody's talked to him. He talks all the time. Um, But, you know, he's anxious to fight. And if you can't make that Cambosis fight happen, I mean, where do you go? What's what's left for him at lightweight if he's not going to take on a top guy? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't have to fight Lopez in the sense that, I mean, he doesn't have to fight Cambosis in the sense that he could just move up to 140 and then he's not obligated right. to do anything for the IBF, which could wind up happening if this Cambosis thing drags on and on. Uh, depending on who you speak to, it's, it's either valid or, or invalid that it's actually possible to do this fight in a stadium, an outdoor stadium in Australia. Um, and when is certainly an issue now. Uh, will it be... Can it happen in May? Can it happen in July? Who knows? And as you said, Chris, uh, Lopez really, he he has difficulty making 135 pounds. Uh, The Cambosis fight very well could be his last fight at the lightweight limit. And if that's his last fight at the lightweight limit, I mean, maybe he just goes up to 140 and fights someone else, tests the waters there, and then waits for the winner of, of, uh, of Ramirez and Taylor and then he's in position to maybe in his second fight at 140 pounds to become the undisputed 140 pound champion. Um, so th- that's a great alternative for him as well. So I could see him doing that. 
Yeah, I mean, he can be he can be what we would call the undisputed 135 pound champion. It's not his fault. The WBC is uh, terrible, um, and then go up and fight that winner and be unquestionably undisputed at one. Uh, 140. That would be a pretty good start to a young career if you're uh, Teofimo Lopez with other big fights that could be made at 140 uh, as well. Let me finish uh, with uh, some some positive news, Keith, when it comes to a sanctioning body. It seems positive, like... Positive news. I know. We, well, you know, I don't even touch and because I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get my blood pressure up at this point. Like the WBC making uh, Avni Yildirim the mandatory the guy lost two years ago and has not fight since why is he the mandatory but you have the wbo well, well which... there, there, there one thing i'll say chris okay. i'm sorry to interrupt you but the one thing i would say is that the the uh elimination match that he had with anthony Durrell, there was you know it was a eh, controversial i guess is the best way to put it right so i think that's why they i'm not advocating him fighting for the title i'm just saying there there is some reason for it and if you're canelo he didn't have to sign up to fight for the WBC title. You know I mean? Right. So not that he's complaining, but there, you know, that was part of the deal to have the fight sanctioned. So it kind of right. is what it is. At that no, point. no, like it, I don't Paul Canelo, you know, if, if Yildirim is there fighting for the belts, great. He should take that opportunity. I just, you know, maybe yeah. take one fight in between, <laughs> take the full two years off and just, you know, be idle waiting for this one uh, opportunity, but hey, Ahmed owner, he says there's a lot of Golovkin in uh, in, in, in Yildirim. It's going to be a pressure fight uh, from from his fighter. Um, but I do want to mention that it it seems like the WBO is going to do the right thing here. They are going to sanction Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury uh, for the WBO title, which would allow it to be for the undisputed heavyweight championship. They seem to be headed towards a deal where Alexander Usyk fights Joe Joyce in what is an excellent fight, like two mm-hmm. top five heavyweights fighting for the mm-hmm. interim version of that title with the understanding that if AJ or Fury does not face the winner, they will be elevated to full champion and that title will be removed from the collection of belts that either AJ or Fury wins. So I guess we finished the pod here, Keith. Just bravo, Paco. Well done, WBO. Way to kind of not get in the way of history here and become the story when you're not. Um, I'll say this. <laughs> I, I didn't think all along that they were going to walk away from the amount of money that they could make from a Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua fight. I, I don't, the IBF might have, if, the, if yeah. they might have based on the way that they've been operating the last few years, they're the only sanctioning organization that I think might have done that. I don't really think the WBO was going to allow that that because ultimately, you know, think about how longer, how much longer they could exist solely on what they make off of that fight. So I just don't think that they're going to walk away from it. And then by doing what they're doing, they get another sanctioning fee from the, from the Joe Joyce, Alexander Usyk fight, which will be substantial also, not nearly as much as the Fury Joshua fight, but also a substantial sum of money. So they're making out here. They're, they're, double dipping, so to speak. And still, I'll say this though, if they did not just say they stood on their principles and, uh, and did maybe something that the IBF would have done and didn't sanction the fight, who cares? Yeah. This this is for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Um, You know, while I'm a stickler for, you know, even though we don't like what the sanctioning organizations do having to recognize them because they exist 
and the guys have the titles, no matter what we all might think of them, who cares, right? I mean, because no one's going to, if they didn't fight for the WBO title or the IBF or the WBC or the WBA, is anyone going to come away from Fury, uh, Joshua, and, and say to the winner, well, you're not really the undisputed champion because now Joe Joyce or Alexander Rusick or whatever, whomever has one of the titles? No, I mean, at, at a certain point, it just becomes ridiculous, right? And it's just, you know, like Tiafimo Lopez, in my opinion, is is the undisputed lightweight. He beat the guy, right? And Haney does, I understand where Haney's coming from in the sense that Lomachenko certainly did not seem interested in fighting him when he was his mandatory. And, but he did take a tough fight and he lost to Tiafimo Lopez, so it's hard to fault him for that. Um, so I kind of see Haney's point. But at the same time, let's just recognize the guys who we know you know, using logic, recognize the guys that we know are the guy in that division. And the winner of the Fury-Joshua fight clearly will be the guy in the heavyweight division. And then the loser will have the opportunity to avenge it in what we think will be an immediate rematch. Yeah, I would just only say that, you know, even though Eddie Hearn was out there kind of poo-pooing the belts and saying, like, we don't need them, it is it does make the fight a little bit more sellable to a casual fan if you can say undisputed, like you and I and many, you know, even average boxing fans know these are the two best heavyweights in the world, that this is for the undisputed championship, even if it's not officially an undisputed championship. But I think there are fans out there that be like, oh, Fury Joshua, no, this is for the undisputed heavyweight championship. And you can, you know, go back in the lineage and point to, you know, Lennox Lewis and others who have been undisputed champions. And that's really the only weight class where it kind of matters a little bit, Keith. Every other weight class, like, you know, undisputed, whatever, it's good, it's a nice thing. But heavyweight, I feel like it matters a little bit more. Uh, yes, but let's not even get into the lineage argument because, <laughs> Jesus, I mean, no. um, but, but you can call it whatever you want. Just for argument's sake, say one of these belts was removed from the equation. Let's not pick on the WBO. Let's just say it was one of the other three is removed from the equation and you're promoting it as the undisputed heavyweight championship for the world, which it is. It, yeah. it, it, it's unequivocally is that. Who could come in and say, oh, well, it's really not because then, well, people will do that because we know why. Yeah, but M- Manuel Char is going to come in and say, no, right. it's, not. It's, it's Of course, it's, yeah, it's I haven't not. fought. I haven't fought in four years, and uh, and you know, I'm supposed to fight Fresa Kendo somehow, but <laughs> but it, it just at a certain point, Chris, it just becomes so ridiculous. You just like throw your hands up, and it's just like, come on, man. I mean, th- this fight can't people just be satisfied with with? I mean, there there always has to be some sort of complication, like boxing oftentimes can't get out of its own way. Sometimes this, the, if I were Deontay Wilder, I'd be, I'd be very pissed as I've, I think I've made it crystal clear at the beginning of the podcast that I'd be very angry about this, but beyond Deontay Wilder, this is a great fight. I mean, it's a great event. You have an undefeated heavyweight champion who just beat the, the most pulverizing puncher supposedly in the history of the division, a guy who avenged his only loss to Andy Ruiz and they're two big British stars. I mean, it's a great fight. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great fight. It's a great event. Who cares if the four belts are involved or what? You know, and, mm. and it and it comes back to like, do we recognize these? And the, at a certain point, it's just the, the the sanctioning organizations just are so absurd with some of the things that they do. Which is the WBA is a good example, and I know you won't, we'll wrap this up, but <laughs> but it, it, as I sit here in in Uncasville, Connecticut tonight, there are there are not one, there are two WBA interim title fights 
on the schedule for Saturday night here at Mohegan Sun. Now, the fights are the the, the 122 pound fight between Raisa Lim and Vic Pasias is an excellent fight between two young undefeated guys. They're not the most well known guys, but two very good 122 pound guys. Who, they don't need the WBA interim. 122-pound title, which is the fourth title in that division from the WBA. I mean, come on. Rolando Romero clearly lost his last fight against Jackson Marinez. Um, I think anyone who watched the fight outside of Rolando Romero's camp would say that. And he's defending the WBA interim title against Justin Paul, though. No offense to either. Come on. Where does it end with these titles? And they keep saying that, oh, well, the television networks want – to, to some extent, I mean, you're just insulting people at a certain point. They, one, one of these guys is now the fourth champion. Or whoever wins these two fights will be one of four champions from the same sanctioning organization in the same weight class. I mean, come on. Look, and they're paying sanctioning fees. Yeah, money coming out of their pocket. I agree with you. And I look, to your point about television networks, I think it's incumbent on television networks to say, it, A, it doesn't matter. And if they're still putting these interim fights on TV, point out that they're stupid. Like, we did this a couple of weeks ago when, you know, I had to explain the Rene Alvarado situation at 130 pounds because I viewed yeah. Alvarado as the true title holder because he was just leaped over and had the super title created above him so Leo Santa Cruz could fight for it. I mean, this, you know, networks should just yeah. recognize one belt. One belt. Who is the true champion? Each of these sanctioning bodies should get one champion per weight class. Simple as that. And you recognize that one guy, yeah. and that's it. Everything else is just white noise. If they want to wear a belt around their waist coming into the ring or hold one up high, more power to them. But, you know, explaining it, Keith, and I know you've probably done this to some of your friends and family, like explaining it like makes people's eyes glaze over. They they start to dislike yeah. boxing more because they have to hear about the fractured belts. I mean, think about it, Chris. It's not only for, and to some, you know, the IBO, there some of the, some of the champ, IBO champions are legit. Anthony Joshua is an IBO champion. Gennady Golovkin's an IBO champion. So, so that's becoming more rec. Now there's maybe five. I mean, four, you know, the four core four, I guess. But now there's five. And then, as I said, the WBA has four champions in like half of the 17 divisions. In, or, or there's 17 of them. So, you know, eight or nine divisions, they have four champions. They have a gold champion an interim champion, a super champion. The interim champion is a permanent distinction. <laughs> interim, by definition, is not permanent, except with the WBA, because these interim champions make multiple defenses of the titles, and they never, and I mean never, fight the super champion or the world champion or the gold. None of the champ those four champions ever fight each other, except Pacquiao and Thurman, maybe. I think that was one instance when it did happen. But and that was because Pacquiao was Pacquiao. Right, and it was Pacquiao Thurman. It had nothing to do with the WBA necessarily, right. but they so they just steal these sanctioning fees from these guys. And the, and the one thing I will say, Chris, is that the titles do matter to the fighters, and I understand that. I understand, like if you fought your whole life and you've gotten trophies and medals and things like that, there there is some cachet and and some personal pride. I mean, these guys invest their whole lives physically and mentally into this. So I'm not trying to to crap on the fighters. It's not that. It's a system that they that's been created for them to exploit to some extent. But who are you fooling in most cases? Like no one looks at Rolando Romero as as the WBA lightweight champ. No one does, and no one thinks that he's going to fight um, Tiafimo Lopez or uh, or Javante Davis or no. So what is the point? What is the purpose of it? And he lost his last fight. Another problem. 
<laughs> so so many problems. So little time. Yeah. So many problems to dive into. So little time. Keith, uh, enjoy the interim title fights this weekend, and uh, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we'll have you back real soon. Thanks for joining me, man. Anytime, Chris. Be good, buddy. Coming up next, 122-pound title challenger, Stephen Fulton. All right, Stephen Fulton, super bantamweight title challenger. He will get his shot at Angelo Leo on Saturday. That's a fight that you can only see on Showtime. And Stephen joins me on the show. Let's start with something simple, Stephen. The best fighter to come out of Philadelphia is who? Bernard. I had to give it to Bernard. <laughs> Why do you say Bernard? He, he accomplished something that I want to accomplish, and that's being undisputed. What Was that... You know, of all his accomplishments, the middleweight title defenses, jumping up to 175, the wins he's had, undisputed, you feel like means the most? To me, besides the, 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 the what was it, 21 uh, world title defenses? That's crazy. Something like that, a big <laughs> yeah, number. Yeah, that's crazy. But besides that, I feel like being undisputed <laughs> is the one because you are the king of that division. And not only not everyone can say that if there are four belt, major belts and – each uh, like different four people have one. You're not the king. No one's the king of the division. You get to call yourself the best in that division. What do you remember as a kid watching Bernard Hopkins in Philly? I honestly remember my first time watching Bernard in a barbershop, like in North Philadelphia. Uh, of course, the barbershop was closed, but like the whole barbershop was going crazy, and I didn't understand it at first. But I, I just was watching it, and, and he put on a great performance. Did you watching him? Did you like his style of fighting? I liked his toughness. Hmm. He was, and he's smart. Slick boxer for sure. Yeah, he's smart. Uh, so you were you were in a fight this weekend that was, of course, to catch people up. Originally scheduled for last July, you went through that full training camp, and then you test positive just uh, for COVID just days before the fight. Tell me what that was like to to get the news that you tested positive. Oh, uh, it was it was it was rough. It was like. Losing, I felt like I lost a lot, like everything, along with my body just being jacked up. My breathing was jacked up, so it was like, it was very, very, very rough. It was like depressing. Hmm. <laughs> I was like one of my lowest moments in my career thus far in like my life. Before you took that test, did you have any inkling that you might have it? Did you feel like, well, I'm not really feeling great. This could be bad. I just, I just felt like I wasn't feeling great, and I didn't understand why. You said you cried after testing positive. I saw you say that at a press conference. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. On the way back when I was driving, I, 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 I shot, definitely shed some tears. Yeah, for sure. Like I felt like I lost my, mm-hmm. my shot. You just didn't feel like you'd get another one. We worked. I worked hard to get there. I worked hard years. I, 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 I as a fighter, like I took those runs on my own, alone at night. You know, the, the fight doesn't. The training, the hard work doesn't end in the gym. You know, we have to take that home as well. So by yourself, like no trainer is with you home. So it's like after putting all that work for years and then this is every fighter's dream to become a world champion. Then you have that like snatched away from you at that moment, not knowing if there was going to be a second chance right away or the next shot or it was another opponent that may have to step in first and then, you know, how those type of things work. Yeah, I would think for I would think for boxers or MMA fighters, it's got to be far worse to test positive because you put in six, seven weeks of training camp, and unlike a basketball player, or a football player, you don't know when that next that next fight, and next paycheck is going to come. For sure, for sure, and that was another thing losing out on a, a paycheck, a payday. Like 
it was just a lot. What was it like to watch Angelo Leo beat Tremaine Williams? Oh, it was pretty cool. Like his dreams came true. Like it was, it was it's, it's always good to watch somebody else's dreams come true. So it, I, I I took my head off. I took my head off to him for that. It was it was I was honestly it was a good fight to watch. Are you watching that fight and thinking, well, he's not gonna be able to do that to me? I'll be I'm I'm better than this. Are you watching it critically? Oh yeah, I definitely watched it like that uh, after the the big day. After after like I had to rewatch the fight. You know, sometimes we watch a fight the first day and uh, we see the winner. But when you watch something over, you start to notice other things. It's just like a movie. You can watch the movie the first time and it'll be uh, it's a good movie. But when you keep on watching that movie over and over, then you'll see other things like, oh, I didn't even see that the first time. How was your recovery from coronavirus? My recovery was pretty cool. I was I was eating whatever I wanted at that moment. Any lingering effects? Uh, at first, it, there was like far as the breathing wise. Then I got over it. I, I took off a training to help me with it. You know, the doctors told me to not to work out because it could permanently uh, mess my lungs up. So I, as soon I heard that, it was like, I'm done working out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw you said um, you didn't get back into the gym until October. That's a few months off. No, not really. Because think about it, October. I, I was about to fight in August. So it was like, oh, mm. uh, really like one month, September. How did you feel when you got back? I mean, look, there's a lot Wait, we don't. And it wasn't it wasn't like I wasn't, I was always in the gym. I just wasn't going hard. Like I would right. hit the pads for like four rounds, shadow box, and then I would leave. Like I was always around. I just wasn't really pushing it to the limit to the point where I can really damage something. Mm. How did you feel about this training camp? What Did you feel like? it was as good or better than previous camps because there's a lot we don't know about COVID. I mean, we don't know how it affects people long-term. How did you feel physically throughout this camp? Physically, I felt amazing this camp. I feel like this went way better than the last camp. I feel like I got the proper sparring and training rather than last time. That's why I always feel like things happen for a reason. Maybe it was God telling me I wasn't not – ready not that I can't beat him but wasn't ready to take that next step to that level without putting me through those tests that, I, that I've been put through what would winning this title mean to you uh, it would mean a lot because I'll be the I'll be the only current and active world champion from Philadelphia um, it'll mean everything to me personally because it's like this is what I worked my whole life for and to, to overcome the obstacles that I've overcame to get here and then win it was like I lost out on the opportunity because I had COVID and messed my body up. He became world champion. Then I defended the crown of world champion. So it was like, that mean a lot to me. Fighters from Philadelphia, how competitive are you guys? Oh, we're very competitive, but we, we don't like, I don't, I don't believe that we're competitive towards one another as far as the fight game, unless we're in the same weight class. Is the goal, as someone that grew up watching Bernard Hopkins, is the goal for you to become undisputed? Oh, yeah. I want to be the first undisputed in this weight class. I'm the only, I'm the only fighter in this weight division that keeps screaming that out. No other fighter in this weight division cont- continuously says that but me because that never was there uh, on their radar. That was always on my radar, and I believe I'm going to be the first one to accomplish that. So you get Angelo Leo first for his version of the title. How difficult a fight are you expecting this to be? I'm expecting it to be a great, tough fight at first. 
But of course, I will branch off and take away from mid all the way into the to the finish to the finish line. We're looking forward to it, man. First, I hope of many title opportunities for you, Stephen. Good luck on Saturday, and uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks, appreciate you. When we come back, Sports Illustrated's Fighter of the Year, Teofimo Lopez. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. Daphima Lopez only had one fight in 2020, but it was a big one. He becomes the undisputed 135-pound champion, knocking off Vasily Lomachenko in one of the bigger upsets of the year. He did it despite the fact that, you know, he didn't have to take that fight, despite the fact that he wasn't earning massive dollars. He did it for the challenge, and he came out of that event successful. And for that, Teofimo Lopez is our co-2020 Fighter of the Year. Tiffy might say congratulations, but you've been getting congratulations from everybody lately because you keep racking up these Fighter of the Year awards, man. 
<laughs> no, thank you, man. Thank you. I mean, for for being being fighter of the year, co-fighter of the year, along with Tyson Fury, um, you know, and and for Sport, Sports Illustrated, man, I think that's uh, it's a huge a huge deal, you know, a big deal. So I was very happy with that. I, you know, I found out the news yesterday, and uh, just doing this, man, I'm just very thankful. Well, I mean, you earned it. I mean, that was a terrific performance, and again, in a fight that you didn't necessarily need to take in that moment. I want to get to the fight itself, but I want to go back to four and a half years ago when you were in Rio at the Olympics and I was working those Olympics for NBC. And as part of that job, I'm kind of looking at who's a top pro prospect out there. I noticed Joshua Bowatsi. I noticed Shakur Stevenson. Uh, You went out pretty early in that that tournament. If I had, I I hate using these devices, but if I had asked you four and a half years ago what you would have said if I said in 2020 you would be boxing's fighter of the year, what would you have said back then? Um, I'll get to you on that. <laughs> like, I'll take that. I'll take that in. Okay, um, I appreciate that. But did you believe in yourself? Did you believe in yourself back then in the same way you believe in yourself now? No, 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 no. It's only getting bigger and better uh, from this point on. From four years ago, four and a half years ago, and now um, it's a different it's a different outlook. The way I feel, the way I I think, and the way um, I carry myself. So uh, nah, if you had told me that, I probably would have been like in shock more than anything. Who, is this guy? What's he? What's this guy on, man? But nah, yeah, man. So for that, man, my father, other on that side, he'll believe you on everything you said. <laughs> He's like, I see it happening in in two in two years, you know. But um, overall, man, uh, yeah, everything changed, man. Everything changed. When when you exited the Olympics and left Rio, like yeah. what did you hope your pro career was going to look like? I mean, you you were a, a prospect, obviously top rank signed you, but even back then, they probably said, "Look, we we like Shakur more, and we like Michael Conlon more." Like you were probably mm-hmm. lower on their list of priorities than other fighters were. Yeah, I was. Um, they had three guys that they really wanted to sign. It was the Brazilian that had one gold in my division in Brazil, um, Robson Conceicao, mm-hmm. and then uh, Shakur. But the first one that they really wanted the most was Colin, and they got Colin. And then after that, I think I was like the fourth guy, you know, since they had a little bit left after giving these guys a quarter million for these signing bonuses that they <laughs> that they had occurred. Um, you know, you know, it is what it is. I think the best opportunities I had, Lou DiBella at one point as well, that wanted to, that was interested in me as well. So I think that helped to get us to where we're at today and to get us where, you know, we're top ranked. Um, So, yeah, man, I think that uh, I was always being overlooked, but it's good that now, you know, I think that everyone is happy with the choices and the decisions that they made. We asked you about your confidence coming out of those Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you believe as you turned pro that you were going to – what kind of fighter did you think you were going to be when you turned pro? Uh, A happy fighter. Happy Friday. Uh, that was what it is, man. Um, I think probably because since I was 13, I, I would be in the ring with professional fighters and stuff like that, uh, learning from them. And, and I think that I always had the style like of a pro. So what I really felt from it was turning pro was finally like my home. I feel at home. I feel happy now. You know, I don't got to worry about, oh, you got three rounds, three minutes, throw crazy punches. And, you know, and then the political part of it, I mean, there's politics in boxing, but – in amateurs is worse. Um, 
so you know just things like that and just being able to be where i'm at today man i'm it, it shows that of course this is what i wanted this is what i i know i'm more comfortable at is in the pros than in the amateurs i still did what i did and i i i reached the highest pinnacle in the amateurs you know what i mean and that was the olympic games so now it's just on to uh where we're at today how hard did you take that Olympic loss? Because coming into it, I mean, you were kind of screwed over by USA Boxing with mm-hmm. kind of the weirdness of the trials. You go and you compete for Honduras and it doesn't go your way. I mean, how how tough was that to take? Uh, very tough. Very. Um, it's a hard pill to swallow. Very hard. You know, um, it's always been like that, though, you know. Uh, so, you know, it's nothing new to me. However, you know, um, the whole thing really it was just that when you you know nobody likes to lose, but you gotta learn how to you gotta learn how to take your losses just like you take your wins, and that's what uh, that's what I learned, you know. And now it's all about all right. Um, if I could, if I have the if I have the power in my hands to knock somebody out and not leave it to the judges, I'm gonna do so, you know. And mm-hmm. and that's what it, it what a lot of people were tuning into, you know. And uh, now it comes to where. You know, I was very, I was very low. I was very low when it came to the Olympic Games uh, after losing and everything. But you know, because uh, that was one of my one of my short term goals was to become a, a Olympic gold medalist. Uh, you know, Shakur Stevenson, he almost had that chance. You know, uh, but he he brought back um, silver for United States. So congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of things like that, man. So you know, my father, that was the hardest part though, trying to lift him back up. That was the hardest mm-hmm. part because he was devastated. You know, but now, you know, we're here today. You know, he's getting, you know, he's getting all these uh, accolades of trainer of the year and everything for 2020. So I'm very happy for him on that part, too. He deserves that. Tell me what very low looks like. I mean, you said after you lost, you were very low. Your father was very low. I mean, what did that look like? Um, How, you know, we were still in Brazil for like the next, for the remainder two weeks or so. We were still in Brazil. Um, but during that time, you know, my father and everything, he was just, you know, doing his own thing, you know, getting his mind off of things, you know, and, and maybe it might have not been in the best way. However, you know, he did what he decided to do, and I did what I decided to do. I mean, it was unlimited McDonald's. You could go over there and eat whatever you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> a lot of things like that, man. I think every – from that, that point on, every day I was either going to McDonald's, ordering whatever I wanted, and um, just – just being around other other countries and being around other people and just trying to uh, distract myself. You know, I was trying to do the good causes of it. My father, he, he decided to do the, the other causes, you know, the bad side of it. Yeah. Why did you stay? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Why we stood, uh, I think that um, really, uh, I guess we just, we decided not to, we just decided to close it out with the ceremony and everything. Yeah. You know, um, just be around and just, uh, plus, you know, we ain't want to just, you know, we lose and just leave. You know, might as well just stick through it the whole way. And that's what mm-hmm. we decided to do. Did you get a chance, in over those two weeks that you're there and you're not competing, did you interact with anybody? Was there any kind of memorable exchanges? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I remember running into Venus Williams the, and Serena Williams. Uh, great people, and uh, they're phenomenal, man. And, and just you can see, uh, I remember I saw um, from the Spurs, Tony. Tony Parker. Um, Tony Parker. Yeah, Tony Parker. I remember seeing him. Uh, a lot of other uh, basketball players from France as well, um, and that was good. You know, so just things like that, getting getting interacting with different, whether it was from uh, Netherlands, you know, and, you know, the women. <laughs> 
but that was like nah but all jokes aside though man all jokes aside yeah man it was good though it was a great experience you know it's it's um the way they had it set up man it was very nice the the villas and everything i mean you was there mm-hmm. man next you 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 know what i'm talking yeah. about and the fact that you know with beats mcdonald's and so on and so forth powerade and it was just uh it was great man i had a great i could say to my grandkids and to my kids that i was an olympian and and I went out there and I had that experience. You know, that was the main thing I wanted to take in. Obviously, I was with uh, with the USA team as well. Uh, members of friends and close friends of mine, like uh, Gary Antoine Russell, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, Clarissa Shields and so on and so forth. All those, all Shakur and all those guys. So just being around them too, man, it was it was nice. So just you, to see them keep going. Yeah. So you're you're the kind of guy that I feel like uses a lot as motivation. You know, with with Lomachenko is kind of him sort of being dismissive towards you. But after the Olympics, I mean, how much do you were you able to use kind of the way you came up short and then kind of being, as you said, the fourth guy that Top Rank was looking to sign as as something that would fuel you early on? Um, I just knew that I had to make a I had to make a statement for myself. You know what I mean? Um, nobody's going to do it for me. Um, and that's what we ended up doing, you know, just promoting ourselves, trying to find any outlet in any way because we knew that we weren't the the main attraction for everyone. Everybody was more interested in Colin, Shakur, and so on and so forth, you know, and, and, and during that time. So, you know, the whole thing was like, you know, they got their time, they got their moment, let them enjoy it, but I'm going to get mine eventually and just work my way up. And that's what we did. I, the motivation was just to keep going and, and to show everyone that I am the truth, that I, I know what I'm doing. I know that I am the best in, in boxing. And um, that just took a lot of time, a lot of hard work and dedication, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, whether it was cuts, anything like that, man. And um, we just kept pushing through it. The motivation part was that I'm just not going to let up. I'm not going to let them – I'm not going to let anyone dictate how I should live my life or how I should um, how should I – overcome obstacles and how I should do things. So I think for everyone, man, you got to take all of that in. Nobody's going to help you but you, you know, and just as long as you have faith and hope and you believe that you are where you need to be and that you can achieve big things, then you're already one step closer to your goals. Amateur boxing can, great amateur boxers can be great pros, but it's equally true that guys that don't have a lot of success in the amateur ranks, or at least not the Olympics, can become Great pros as well. I mean, I, I looked at, again, I told you I saw Buwazi there. I was like, that guy is a pro fighter. Like, he looks like a pro fighter. You clearly are a pro fighter. When you got into the pro ranks, how quickly did you realize that this was a much better style for me than what amateur was? Pro debut. Mm-hmm. The, the first, my first fight. My first fight going in. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, we were fighting without headgear anyways when, when it came to the Olympics, but it was different, you know, um, in the pros, the gloves are a lot smaller. They're a lot tighter, you know, and um, it's just a whole different environment. You can feel it. The whole atmosphere is different. So I felt that, you know. And crazy as, uh, as it could be, though, I actually fought um, on my pro debut. I fought injured. I fought with a, with a sprained ACL. Mm-hmm. So if you look back into that in, that in that fight, you'll see I have a, a kinetic tape. I have that KT tape around my knee, my left knee for a reason. Um, I had I had sprained I had sprained my ACL I didn't know, but I had sprained it during uh, sparring. It was my last session. It was my last session in um for before my fight. Mm-hmm. So just from that yeah. from then on, you kind of knew that your your power was going to be there. That you were going to be at that level. No, actually, you know, um, I thought 
you know, for the longest, my mom's and my father, they thought, you know, my father, he's always been, he's one of those guys, though, back then that he'll just one hit and that was it. It was a one hit a quitter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the time and uh, when my father used to fight. So I think that he always wanted that for me. He seen glimpse and, and, and somewhat of me with power, but he never expected it to be where I'm at today. And he knows that it's only going to get bigger and better. So now he has that confidence even more that, hey, my son got that one-punch power if you come in, you know, and, 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 and I think that's the thing. So little by little, you know, I was 19 when I turned pro. So my body's starting to fully – it's starting to develop more. I'm starting to – I'm only 23, so I got like, what, when do I finish? They say 25, 26, <laughs> you stop. So I got – you know, there's a lot of things, man. So I'm, I'm very happy about it. That's why, you know, I know that eventually I am going to have to move up to 140. However, we're trying to stay down just to make one one more fight or two more fights until Joshua Taylor um, – yeah, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez make the fight happen. Once they make that fight happen, then we'll move up to 140 and make that fight with them. Mm-hmm. So you finished 2019 – and you knock out Richard Comey, one of the best knockouts of the year. Just flatten him with mm-hmm. a huge shot that puts him down right away. You go into 2020, and everybody's talking about you and Lomachenko, and you kind of sort of have a date for the spring, at least penciled in early on. And then the pandemic hits. And during the pandemic, you know, Bob Arum said that he offered you an opportunity for like kind of a stay busy fight. You said, no, I'm going to I want to go straight to Lomachenko. Why did you do that? Um, because... You know, I'm a man of my word, and, and when, if we talk about something like that, I know that it's all a psychological thing. You got to think about it. It's all um, – everything in, in, in boxing, a lot of it's all mental. I knew that by Bob offering that on the table, I knew it was not from – I knew that he was just trying to take care of his boy, and that was Loma, because Loma had a half off since uh, the since Luke Campbell of August of 2000, what, 2019? Yeah, middle of summer. Yeah, middle of summer. So, you know, I think that was – that's why, you know, Loma was 14 months off, you know. But I knew that he wanted to also get him. And I, I kind of thought about it. I was like, Loma has an ego. He has a big ultra ego. So I knew by me declining it, I knew he would decline as well. Mm-hmm. So um, he was just following into my – he was just already following into – we had him from the from the beginning. So <laughs> and that's when I knew. You know? And I think that was the best thing. A lot of people don't see that. You know, it's it's the moves that you make before the actual moves that, that really – that could tell you – if this guy, um, you don't know a lot about somebody by the choices that they make, mm-hmm. pretty much. You know, Lomachenko ended the career of Nicholas Walters. Mm-hmm. He embarrassed Guillermo Rigondeau. He knocked out Campbell and Anthony Crolla and some good fighters along the way, just completely outclasses Gary Russell Jr. at 126. What gave you the confidence going in that you could win a fight like that? Um. They're not me. They can't. They don't know. They, they don't think like me, and they're not me. You know, um, the whole thing was all about what is it that these guys? Uh, what was it that gave the confidence or the, more of that extra style for Loma to do what he wanted to do in that comfort? It was all about respect. It was all about they. He knew that they were scared of him. They knew that he knew Loma knew that these guys weren't sure of themselves. They weren't. They weren't sure of themselves. So. And I knew that for myself, I know I am the best, you know, and, and, and I'm the type of person where if you believe you're the best, I know I'm the best, then let's make a fight happen. And that's what, what came down to. That's really what came down to it. And no matter what was the cause of it, no matter how much we had got for this fight, you know, uh, the whole thing was really more about the glory. That's what it's all about. That's what it used to be back then. So I don't know, you know, a lot of people now, it's more about the social media followers. It's more about all those things. I get it. You know what I mean? Um, 
and we will, you know, we'll work on all those things and all that, you know. But in the meantime, man, we're the king of the division, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Loma, man, um, with Loma, man, uh, the whole thing, it's, it's, I always think about it. It's, it ain't, those fighters ain't me. That's just what it comes down to. I don't, I think in boxing, all fighters should get as much money as possible because it is not a sport you play. You're going out there and you're putting your body on the line every single time. That being said, a lot of fights don't get made because, I mean, fighters are holding out for too much money or for every last dollar. You took this fight against Lomachenko knowing probably that if you put it off for a year or whatever, you could probably make a little bit more money or a lot more money off of it. Why were you so willing to do that? Why were you willing to bet on yourself in the way that you did? Because I believe in myself. I mean, I believe in myself, and, and that's all thanks to my to God and thanks to my father, you know what I mean? Uh, for him to, to, to bring that out of me even more, that confidence level, you know, and, and it's only gotten bigger and better, like I said before. And um, that's all really what it comes down to, man. Um, I've always, I'm always going to bet on myself, always. You know, and uh, because I believe in myself that much. And no matter who they put in front of me, I'm going to beat them. And I've always had that mindset. Uh, the only person that could beat me is myself. And um, I've known that since uh, I've known that from the Nakatari fight. I learned that a lot. So, you know, and, and all those things, man. And I'm very, I'm very thankful for each fight that I've had and each fighter that, has, that I have faced because they've taught me a lesson to get me better for the next one. How much confidence do you get from your father's almost maniacal confidence in you? I mean, he is very, he is, he is talking the talk for you half the time. How, what do you get out of that? Um, positive, mm-hmm. positivity, good feedback. You know, that's all about, it's all about positive vibes, good vibes only, you know, uh, and you call that out. It's the law of attraction. You know, it's, um, you call it out to the universe, whatever you want to call it, you call that out. You really do speak it into existence if you really believe it, if you already, already have felt it and seen it. Uh, me, and, me, and, me and my father, me and my coach, we have, we have a, the same vision. However, his could be a little bit more, you know <laughs> what I mean? But we still, we still are, are on the same path, on the same road of where we want to, where we want to, when we hang up our gloves, where we want to be at. You know, and, and it's all about being a legend, making a statement and be making a making a big difference outside and just being a people's champion outside of the world, you know, outside of the boxing. The fight itself, was it yeah. harder than you thought, easier than you thought, or exactly how you thought it was? Easier. Hmm. It was easier than I thought. How cause I had I did have I had high expectations for Loma too. Hmm. I did. I did because I could see that he's a fighter. He he's a good fighter. He knows what he's doing. He ain't stupid. So I knew it was going to be a good fight. You know, I had high expectations for him, but when, I guess the whole thing was um I don't know if it was just my the, the confidence or the way my demeanor was or the way I pressed him and I think I shut that down from him for the whole time. And I could have kept that going all the way, you know, but those are the things that we're going to work on now. Mm. Um you know, for the next camp you know, it's all about staying consistent. I could have done that from the first round all the way to the 12th round, you know. So, but now we know that. We're going to go back to the drawing boards and we're going to work on from what happened from eight round, from the 8th to the 11th. We're going to work on those things and then we're going to get back on, on, on what really needs to be done. You know, we can't, we can't show, we can't show uh, no weakness in our games. So that's what we, that's why, you know, but the thing is, Lomachenko is a high caliber fighter. You know, he's a he's a high talented fighter. You know what I mean? He's very talented. He's skillful. Two time Olympic gold medalist. So of course you're gonna. Um, I'm not surprised at what I saw. However, 
you know, I, I did expect more from him. Mm. You know, but the thing is that I was I I don't blame him because I was stopping a lot of the stuff that he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. So you're fighter of the year in 2020. I if, if I know you, you yeah. want to be fighter of the year in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 yeah. and beyond. How do you have a better year in 2021 than you did in 2020? What does a great year for Teofimo look like in 2021? Um, by knocking at least one of those three, four bozos in my division, <laughs> you know, I think that would definitely. If if the Loma fight didn't see the deal, I think that would probably make something like, oh snap, you know. Um, but my whole goal is to really just be where my name is always on the front. You know, it's the front runner when it comes to boxing. You know, what I mean, uh, fuck everybody else, fuck everybody in the boxing world. It's about Teofimo, so that's what I'm. Twenty twenty one. That's what it is all about. Me and my father, we talked about it. This is going to be our breakthrough year. This is going to be our breakthrough year. This is when all the sponsorships and the endorsements are definitely going to come in. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and the only way is by promoting ourselves even more and just uh, um, not getting into, for me, not getting into trouble and for him not getting into trouble <laughs> and just trying to stay as, as that role model and, and keep, that, keep that positive feed going. You know, nothing negative. A lot of people want to um, discredit a lot of things, but, you know, it's all it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt, mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm very happy about the fact that I'm I'm where I'm at today for a reason, and it's all about motivating the youth. So you, you know, you said one or two more fights at 135 before you make the jump to 140 after Taylor Ramirez, which would be a huge fight at 140. If you could get only one of those so-called bozos that you mentioned there in the ring before you move up, who would it be? Well, um. If it's not my mandatory, like I said before, it's it could be any of those guys. Really, it really can. And it doesn't. There's no one that I'm not not eyeing. You know what I mean? Uh, as long as they're willing to take the fight and not, like I said, not overprice themselves. These guys are gonna overprice themselves, man. They're gonna do it, mm-hmm. and I already know it because they really do believe that. I look at it like this. You look at the stats. You look at the facts, right? You look at the stats. You look at all those things, right? You go back. A lot of people don't do that, though. A lot of people don't take the time to actually really do their research. They only go off of what they see right there and then. And I think of that as casual fans. Um, For the boxing fans, for those that actually really admire the sport, respect the sport, they know who's this, who's that, and what they're doing. With 16 fights, Teofimo's about to get anywhere from three to five million. Mm -hmm. I told y'all, five million minimum. Mm -hmm. These guys are on their 20th in their mid-20 fight, you know what I mean? By the time I get to that point, who knows? I'll probably be making eight figures. But how? How did we get there? We had to earn our stripes. We had to beat the guy that was the man, the guy to beat. You know, you got to earn, you know, your stripes. These guys are just trying to pick up anybody from lower weight classes and bring them up and, and make it look good, you know, and make the money and make it a safe route. Everybody's just trying to play it safe. Mm. Stop playing pussy. Stop playing pussy and, and make the fight happen. Be a man. Fight. You know, um, I'm a fighter. So I guess uh, when it comes to it, man, Devin, Tank, Garcia, any of those guys, Cambosas. I mean, there's a lot of people in the division. Any of those guys, you know, as long as I'm staying active, as long as they're willing to fight, as long as they're willing to, uh, to actually stand up on their, on their word, and we can make everything happen. Did Garcia impress you? Know? you? Um. I didn't see the fight. Mm. I didn't see the fight. I didn't see the fight. However, I did, um, you know, I always keep up on the, on everything. You know, I keep up on the social media and all that. So I am watching the highlights. I'm watching all those things. Um, what I did like is that he still has the, he has the heart to, you know, come back. And that's a good thing. That's what, that's what a fighter needs. So I think that for him, man, it was a great move for him. 
congratulations to him, you know, and I wish him nothing but success, you know. But when you step up to Teofimo, then fuck you. I don't care about you no more, you know. But, yeah. We gotta get yeah, you. Uh, we gotta get you a DAZN subscription. We'll get you a promo code or something like that. You know, <laughs> so you can watch some of these fights. Um, yeah. Well, Teofimo, I mean, you bet on yourself in 2020, and it paid off. You got the big win over a guy considered a pound for pound king, and now you are the man in 135 pound division. And I think 2021 is going to be a massive year for you. Congratulations, man! Uh, terrific performance against Lomachenko, and, and looking forward uh, to what's coming next. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mannix. And thanks to Sports Illustrated for for naming me their co-fighter of the year for 2020. I thank you guys so much. And I look forward to actually doing back-to-back. You know me, Mannix. That's all I'm about, man. <laughs> Making more things. I, I'm I'm going to do it to where they hate it. They hate seeing my name. That's, that's the goal. The goal is to where they see my name and they're like, oh, my God, when are they going to get somebody else? That's what that's the goal is. Where we're gonna just keep bugging them. We're just gonna keep bugging them. So that's my goal, man. But thank you guys. And and how we do it is just is just keep beating the guys that you guys want us to fight and and keep entertaining the fans and keep entertaining entertaining you guys. So thank you guys. I am humbly thankful and I and I appreciate all you guys because now I feel very acknowledged that I am doing something in this. You know what I mean? I think we all need it. A lot of negative stuff happened and for, for this man thank you guys because this is the positive that I needed to keep going so thank you alright that's it for this week's episode my thanks to my guests as always subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts rate review you know I appreciate it and I'll see you next week Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 